Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, it of course is Victory Lane. That's right, today on the Slick Johnson edition. What? Yeah, episode 53, an ode to positive aggression, as always. I've started to kind of highlight the driver that is most famously associated with the number of the episode. So today is 53, and somebody who drove the 53 car is Slick Johnson. I literally just picked the guy with the best name because I just went on Racing Reference and (laughs) looked it up. He made 21 starts in the 53 car. Five top 10 finishes and a whopping seven laps led. Round of applause for you, Slick. Also, I want to give a shout out to Bob Burdick, who was the only driver to grace Victory Lane driving a 53 car. And also whoever drives for Rick Ware Racing on a given week because they have field a 53 car. Anyways, today on the show, I'm giving you two episodes per week during this quarantine coronavirus season. One of my close buddies in NASCAR media... Aaron Bearden of Motorsports Beat. He's been one of my good friends in the garage for for a while, and he is one of the coolest, greatest dudes that I have had the privilege of meeting and getting to know in my time covering the sport. We touched on it all. Uh, We had a lot of laughs. We had a lot of reflection. We got serious for a little bit, uh, but most importantly, we had a lot of fun. So we talked for literally one hour on the dot, I'm pretty sure, um, so I hope that you will enjoy our conversation. I hope that you will learn a thing or two. Aaron is by far one of the most, n- not one of, he is the most progressive-minded people that I have had the privilege of coming into contact with in the journalism industry. Um, and I think his story is just very, very unique. Um, you'll be interested to hear how he went down the path of becoming a financial analyst and then getting into racing after the fact. It's not really how you would assume so. So here is my conversation with the creator, CEO, founder of Motorsports Beat and an all-around great A1 homie, A.A. Ron Bearden. You may know him as the pun master. You may know him as the person that responds to bots on Twitter, probably Instagram too. You may know him as a NASCAR journalist, reporter, extraordinaire, creator of Motorsports Beat. He doesn't just cover NASCAR. He covers IndyCar, Formula One, IMSA, Rally, Formula E. I think pretty much any racing that there's going on across this world, Aaron Bearden is the man who is covering that racing. Aaron Thank you so much for joining me. We have a lot of ground to cover and little time to do it, but thank you for being on. I know that you're a busy dude, even in these strange times, and uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a while because I feel like us, you know, just two dudes chopping it up, this is perfect podcast material. Yeah, man, just two struggling Tottenham fans over here in the U.S. Um, you're right, I am busy. I'm, I I don't want to say blessed. It might not be the right word. I don't know what the right word for it is, but I uh, I play journalist on the side. 
as most people know, I'm a financial analyst during the day. And here in the state of Indiana, my job is still essential. So quote unquote. So I've been traveling same as usual, same 25 minute commute there and back every day, working the same day job. Actually been a little bit longer hours while everybody else is kind of struggling. So it's, yeah. it's a good thing. Like it's a blessing that I have that as the backup plan. I'm working mm-hmm. through it and keeping going, but it's also kept me really busy while everybody else is kind of trying to create content things. So that's been a little bit of a time constraint for me. So I want to get to your day job, so to speak, as a financial analyst, like you mentioned, but now I'm curious. So, so you're going in every day. I thought you were working from home. So are you, are you wearing gloves and masks? Like when you go in, is your office packed? Like what's the deal? Uh, we've uh, we put in some social distancing implementations, so we're all staying about six to ten feet apart from each other. We're cleaning everything down multiple times a day. I think I've been through like three bottles of bleach in the last month. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, we're we're doing we're taking a lot of precautions, but I mean it's it's a manufacturing facility, so you still have to kind of keep going. There's still a lot of people there every day. I wouldn't try to quantify it, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still driving in every day. I, I kind of minimize how much I get up and move around. I sit back. I've actually got a standing desk normally, but I've been sitting off to the right of it, kind of forcing myself to stay seated because when I'm standing, I'm more apt to walk around. So True. minimizing my socializing a little bit. But yeah, I'm still out and about, still working at the actual office every day. Not a not a first responder on the front lines, but you're still uh, you're still just getting up every day and doing doing some sense of normalcy, which I'm sure you're in the minority in these times. Because I think, honestly, if, if if people that have jobs hate their jobs, they would be willing to go in and suffer. Like I guess maybe you are, <laughs> but it's it's some sense of normalcy. So I guess you can look at it in that respect, and that at least you have something to kind of get you out of bed in the morning, literally and figuratively. Oh yeah, no, I don't. I don't take it for granted at all. I'm very blessed to still have this, but it has made a really interesting experience for me because you know if you if you're checking social media right now in our industry, everybody's kind of been locked down, doing what they can from home. You know, you're making content like this when you're used to being at the track, for example. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a very surreal experience, and I feel like my perception of it might be a little skewed because I'm still like my day to day life is almost unchanged. Mm-hmm. I don't go sit down and eat as much, obviously, because I can't. And I don't go visit my family really right now. But other than that, I mean, I'm still working every day. I'm still trying to run in the evenings. And I'm still writing about racing when I can. It's just virtual instead of live from the track. That's right. That, that's that been an adjustment for everybody, as I'm, as I'm sure you all know. So we're going to get into some racing maybe at the end. But as I told you before, I, I want this to be about you. Um, and we're going to get into everything from your stops along the way to get to where you are now at Motorsports Beat to growing up in Indiana and some road trip tips that you've taught me to stay awake behind the wheel. So if, you, if you're interested in those, <laughs> stay tuned. Um, but you talked about socializing. You've also been playing some online trivia games with some of your college buddies in quarantine. And I had no idea about these games. And you enlightened me about a website that was like Barstool before Barstool today. I mean, you're just, you, you are knowledge. Uh, it just means I've spent entirely too much time bored on the internet. That's what it means. Um, Everybody yeah, does my, that. It's all right. Yeah, my friends and I, we all got together on Saturday night. There's a game, well, it's a collection of games. It's called Jackbox TV. One person loads it up and then everybody else can kind of sign in and play. So we played a game on there called Quiplash a few times. I think I, I think I won the first like four, and then one of the other ones won one. But that was kind of fun. And yeah, back in uh, college, 
I'm not terribly proud of this, but I was a, I was a chiver as we were called. There was a website called the chive that kind of uh-huh. did, I guess you'd almost think of like, if you look at like bar stools to Instagram now, where they post like funny videos and funny images before the like internet that. was what it is now. Yeah. It was like, it was like less social media and more website, but it was the same basic concept. I would say as bar stools. Interesting. Well, thank you for enlightening me about those things. And that started with the conversation of me, uh, texting you your tweet of you responding to a bot, but we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> let's go back all the way to the beginning, Aaron. Uh, you're a little boy in Indiana. How did you get into racing in the first place? I assume IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500 probably was the catalyst for that, but I'll let you tell the story. I mean, how, how did this all start for you? Well, I'm going to surprise you because IndyCar was a very late addition for me, which is really weird to say living in the state of Indiana. But yeah. uh, my love of racing actually started long before I was born. It was the mid-80s. My parents were working well, the, the nine to fives, the day jobs. My dad was working third shift. And my dad's a big sports guy. He always has been. He watched everything from like boxing to football, basketball. But in the summertime, there weren't a lot of options, you know, and and a lot of the times it was pretty much either golf or racing. And my mm-hmm. dad at the time didn't like golf. You know, they kind of only followed a handful of players back then. And he wasn't really into it. So he started watching NASCAR because it was on. And lo and behold, they started watching more and more. Dad became a big Dale Earnhardt Sr. fan back in the Wrangler days. And they kind of grew into it. So by the time I was born, it was just a staple in our household. If practice was on, you'd watch practice. Qualifying was on, you'd watch qualifying, and you'd watch the races. So I grew up in the mid-90s, late-90s, watching, oh gosh, the Bush Series races from, like, Myrtle Beach. and Good old days, baby. Once they launched, and those trucks were, like, those huge super trucks. You remember how they had that? Like, oh, yeah. Truck? Oh, yeah. I love you like, want them to go back to those. Oh, yeah. Watching, like, Jack Sprague and Ron Hornaday battling it out with, like, Jimmy Hensley. And Dennis yeah, l- at, on. like, all the tracks that Arca West races at now, like Tucson, <laughs> Louisville when that was a thing, Colorado. Oh, yeah. And that was, like, my – I learned my numbers from it. I learned my words <laughs> from it. I remember being a little kid and trying to say good wrench, and I couldn't pronounce it. So it was, like, good inch. <laughs> and, like, I was a massive Dale Sr. fan because Dad loved him, so when we would – when my parents would start going to the track, once the Brickyard 400 became a thing, they'd start bringing me on qualifying days as of like 96, I think, when I was three. And I had like all the black stuff on, even though it was like super hot outside late, yeah. like mid-August. <laughs> and I'd walk through, we'd take my grandpa with me, and I could tell my grandpa on qualifying day who every driver was, the team they drove for, their manufacturer, and I could usually guess within about five spots where they were going to qualify. So nothing's and changed. Yeah, it hasn't changed too much. But uh, yeah, so I, I actually was a NASCAR kid in the state of Indiana. And the only thing I knew IndyCar for was once a year, for some reason, Dad had put on this other race and it was at the Brickyard. I recognized the track. And they would have all those like colorful looking numbers overlaid to show you the positions because the IndyCar broadcasts always had the uh, cut like the super colorful color schemes on the cars and the ticker. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and I remember the cars looking really fast, but I didn't know any of them that well or anything. And it really wasn't until, man, late 2000s that I really clicked with what IndyCar was and that it was this huge other series that's, like, racing really close to home. And so I started watching it more, I'd say, probably high school, 2009, 2010. And then the other ones just came on over time. 
college came, I started going to local tracks. I went to Ball State University, which is in Muncie and about 30 minutes from Winchester Speedway. So I found out super late models were running one time at Winchester and went out there and watched that and loved it. I have like 2,000 photos I took on this really junky point-and-shoot cool picks <laughs> camera that Ashton Kutcher sold me. It's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, from there it just grew. You know, social media. I grew to love following it all on social media, and I tweeted way too much about it, which I guess paid off for me. But yep. deep down inside, I'm really a random NASCAR kid in Indiana that was more likely to get in a fight with a Terry Labonte fan over Dale Sr. at Bristol than I was to watch an IndyCar race as a kid. <laughs> That's cool. That's interesting because when you said it wasn't IndyCar, I was thinking, okay, what was it? Was it midgets? Was it was it dirt racing? Was it sprint cars? And I guess it, it just should have been right in front of my face that it was NASCAR. But I find that interesting because when you think of the Hoosier State and you think of Indiana natives, it's all about the pride of the 500 and the pride of Indianapolis. And when they say the Brickyard, they're not really talking about the Brickyard 400. They're talking about just the venue that the Indy 500 happens to take place at. So I, th I think that's interesting that IndyCar was kind of a late addition for you. But with that being said, I know that Indianapolis Motor Speedway itself, growing up there, you have a really special connection to that track. So tell me a little bit more about the first time you went there. I assume it was in 96, like you said, uh, dressing all black, supporting your boy, Dale Sr. back in the day. I mean... And then as as kind of a follow-up, I was going to ask it, whether or not there was a moment when you were going to races or watching races as a kid when you realized, okay, you know, th this might be a little bit more than something that I'm just going to watch on Sundays. I might want to, you know, get pretty into this, but it seems like it might have been a gradual progression over time because, like you said, this is ingrained in you before you were even born. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I still remember, like, probably my first notable memory is that first trip to the Brickyard. Uh, we're from North How old were you at that point? Three. Three, three years and, like, like, three years and three months, maybe. You beat me by, like, two and a half, three years. <laughs> I was a young pup. I started yeah. going to races when I was six. That's when it got real good. There you go. But when I, I remember we would always go from the north side of the track and we would pull in, I think it's called, it's called like the North 40 or something like that. It's like the first lot north of the track. And you can just see the North grandstands. And I don't know if you've been to the Brickyard, but they've always got all the flags lined up along the top. Yep. And I can just remember looking over my dad's shoulder through the front windshield and seeing that and just getting chills down my back. I, like I didn't even really, too. I didn't understand what it was at the time. And I, I couldn't really make sense of it. But to this day, I still get those chills every time I see those flags over that grandstand. And I just remember getting there and like we were able to park, I think, inside the track back then because I think it was we got there really early. I don't remember. It was like eight or nine a.m. And we would go there and we would walk over and we tried different seats out every year for the first few years because lo and behold, my parents were sitting, I think, on the front stretch by the start finish line at the time. And I think they were scoping out where they wanted to move to when the opportunity arose, which back then was challenging because I don't know if you remember this, but that place kind of sort of used to sell out and be packed on race day for NASCAR. So back in my we day. Would, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so we would go different places every year, but that first year, I think we just watched it from where their race day seats were. So we were just sitting there by the front stretch. And I remember the walks feeling like it took forever because that place is so huge and just soaking it all in, seeing the pagoda and, seeing all the colors and seeing the cars for the first time and just 
that feeling of energy you get with that. And, you know, you still get it every time you go to the track today. But when you're a little kid and it's the first time you feel it, it's like it's such different. a rush. And I remember I'd walk with my grandpa. We'd go get track fries, which were really hard to find for some reason. Like only a couple <laughs> concession stands sold French fries. So we always had to hunt for them. Weird. We'd go buy them for everybody, and we would just sit back and watch it, and you would hear the announcers come over the radio, and they'd start to qualify, and you'd go, and he's no. on it. And, oh, man, I got so good at it. We, we would all say it to each other over and over again, and you would just pray for him to say, it's a new track record. record. Oh, It wasn't the Indy 500, and I didn't realize at the time most of those traditions came from that. So I actually grew up with a NASCAR slant on the Indy traditions, but I just remember loving it and being enamored with it all. And Really, I never, I I guess I never thought it would become what it is for me now. So when you ask about me, like, realizing that I wanted to work in it and grow in it, it really didn't happen for a long, long, long time. Uh, I never missed a race. I would watch almost everything for pretty much my entire life but i mean we only ever went to the one race a year we couldn't afford to go to any other ones so i'd never even been to a track outside of the brickyard for a cup race until i started going to other tracks to cover them wow and i didn't start doing anything related to writing about it or anything until i think it was the 2014 red bud race the super late model race at anderson speedway i was just kind of watching it and it was a race i think daniel hemrick won that race and I was just enjoying it, and I started tweeting about it because I was having fun with it, and I knew a couple of people were following along, and a couple of guys on the Twitter feed, I guess, were looking for updates from the race. They were like, hey, could you start tweeting more about this? And so I started tweeting out updates from this random late-mile race at Anderson Speedway, and I gained, like, 20 followers, and a bunch of people were tracking it and wanting to know what was going on. And I got back from that and was like, huh, that was kind of cool. And so I started tweeting more during, like, cup weekends and – I started. I was watching IndyCar by that point, so I'd tweet about IndyCar races, and, and it slowly kind of grew. And I was really busy at the time because I was ridiculous in college. I was in like ten student groups and a fraternity, and I worked thirty hours a week and had eighteen credit hours. So it was really busy, and I was kind of burnt out. And I was looking for something different. So mm-hmm. the Daytona Five Hundred came around that year, and I was like, I'm going to write a blog. Just, just to do it. So I launched like a blog. It was called like Aaron Talks Races. It was really terrible. <laughs> and I just I just wrote about the Daytona 500 and then started writing like preview pieces. And I would write things that stuck out to me. So like I remember Eric Almirola, I think it was 2014, won the uh, Coke's. It was, was it the Coke Zero 400 at the time? Yeah, it was, was the July. Best, yeah. It was rain shortened at Daytona, yeah. Yeah, and he got into the playoffs for it, and I remember writing a thing like, hey, this could be a thing for, like, Richard Petty Motorsports to get both people in because they still had Watkins Glen coming up and Ambrose trying for him at right. the time. So I would just write things like that. I didn't have access or anything like that. There's no connections. I never thought about that, and that was just kind of how I got my start with it. And one thing kind of led to another, as I'm sure we'll get into, and somehow or another now there are people that pay me to write about it, and it still kind of blows my mind, but here we are it's pretty cool that you kind of got into this world through tweeting about a late model race that you had no real i guess ambition to do this like you were literally just tweeting about it to do it and then people Mm -hmm. said you this is fun thank you for this and you're like yeah it was you did it again you did it again and then you said hey why not let me write something and that's another thing about you too it's like you know 
a lot of people may not know the face or the voice, and that's why I'm I'm glad that people are hearing the voice now. But you're a doer, like you you just do a lot of stuff. You don't really worry about the consequences of oh, what if so and so is going to be offended or what's so and so going to think? Like something that I admire about you, and I I mean if people are friends with you on Facebook or even some of your Twitter stuff and Instagram too, like you put out like motivational stuff, inspirational stuff, and you're like just do it, you know. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Um, it, like if you're having a bad day, somebody's thinking about you. Like if you're reading this, like get through the day. Stuff like that. That's like very cliche to some people, but and and I'm I'm big on cliches too. But sometimes I'm like, eh, like I don't need this. But whenever I see it from you, because I I get that vibe that it's a little different. What I'm what I'm trying to say is like you've always been somebody that just does stuff. So for example, with that blog that you wrote about Daytona, right? If I was in your shoes, I'd be like, eh, like, why am I, what's the point? Like, nobody's going to read it. I'm not that good of a writer. I don't want to, do I want a career in this? I don't know. Like, I already have a job. I already majored in, in something else. But you're just like, I want to do it. So I'm going to do it. And I'm sure that maybe you thought through all that in your head, but I would probably bet that you didn't. And you were just like, eh, why not? And that's kind of what I admire about you. Oh, yeah. I decided Friday of the race weekend that I was going to write about the racing that weekend. I made yeah. the blog in like three hours. <laughs> it's just like, it was just, yeah, it's spontaneous. Yep. It's And when you say like the motivational things come from like, it sounds like I've been through something or like it means more coming from me. There's a reason for that, too, actually. Uh, yeah, I guess I can touch on this. I In high school, I was the exact opposite of what most people would know me as now. I was very quiet. I couldn't talk to anybody. I was super shy, very self-conscious, and extremely depressed. Uh, I was. I went through a period my sophomore year where I would have classified myself as suicidally depressed, and it made me very dark, and I've kind of been through that side of things. And uh, it took my cousin's daughter, sadly, passing away at a very young age. We lost her. I think she was six, maybe. I can't even remember. I was too in, in the zone at the time to think about it, but she was this little ball of light and this little ball of energy and always so playful and fun. And I remember having like, almost like a come to Jesus moment when we lost her that was like, well, she's over here, you know, she's like the ultimate little ball of light and we lose her so quick. What right do I have to be so regretful? And so woe is me about a life I've had. That's almost three times as long as her at this point, you know, like what right do I have to be squandering my life when somebody who was making the most of theirs gets taken so soon? And so ever since then, I've kind of always tried to look at it the other way. I've tried to take the opportunities out of everything. I've tried to find the positives and everything and realize that the things we take so serious and get so down about a lot of the times aren't the bad things we make them out to be. Like even right now, you know, we're stuck in the middle of this massive pandemic and everybody has to be socially distant and it's making it very challenging for people but there are opportunities that come with that you know I, I see a chance like you mentioned i put up a post the other day just kind of like a reminder like hey there's still people that care about you people still love you you know little things like that you can help somebody get through the day or for me for example right now i've used this as an opportunity to kind of step back a little bit i've limited my social media consumption I've ran more than I've ran in like eight years. My legs are in constant pain right now. It's great. I love it. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it, but it's a good I, think pain. I've put in, I think I've put in like 65 miles in the last month, which wow. for me is a big step. That's awesome. You know, there, there's, 
no matter what situation you're going through, there's always an opportunity to make something good out of it. And there's always an opportunity to learn something important from it. And I've kind of been taking that and running with it ever since then. And that, that is what made me a doer. That was why when I got out of high school, I said I was going to do everything I could in college to make sure I didn't regret it. It's why I made no regrets writing a blog in the middle of middle of February that I didn't think three people would read just to do it. And it's why before that, and you don't even know this, before that I did a YouTube series where I predicted every single college football bowl game, even though I knew nothing about being on camera I love and it. very little about most of the college football teams. I'm going to have really to dig hope, up that footage. I really hope those are gone. They've got to be terrible. <laughs> I'll do some oh, homework and I will dig them up. Oh, it was rough. Yeah, no, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter how dark it seems, there's almost always a light you can find in the situation. And I've kind of made a habit out of trying to find it. Again, I mean, that stuff is, it, it speaks volumes and it's very powerful. And even though some people may be listening and say, oh, that's cliche. I mean, yes, but it's necessary. So I, I, I do appreciate you sharing that and, and uh, being willing to to share your story because I guarantee you somebody listening to this or somebody that will come in contact with you or, or anything like that, they will, they'll listen to this and they'll maybe change their outlook on certain things and say, you know, maybe the fact that I can't go outside and do this activity, maybe it's not so bad, you know, let's, let's look at it from a different lens. So I appreciate you for that. And that was, I was very well said. And also just in a, as an aside, like we text a lot about racing stuff and also Tottenham just, you know, breaking our hearts every now and then, but you just have these, like, I don't want to sound like I'm blowing smoke and kissing your ass, which, which I know it does sound like that, but you just have these like so quick, well thought out, you know, just well eloquently placed sentences that you say to me. And it's like, I, I get the vibe that it's just nothing for you. Like, it's just it's just what you do, and I'm just very jealous of you that you are such a good writer and a good communicator in that respect that that can just be effortless for you. So I just need well, you to know that, that whenever you text me, like, paragraphs and are either talking about how Tottenham's breaking our hearts, but you do it very eloquently, or whether you're talking about what Kyle Larson's plan back is going to be, but you do it very eloquently. You make me think about things differently. You make me read things a couple times so I can say what does that mean? Or how did he use that word there? Like, you're just a really smart dude. I just need you to know that. All right. <laughs> well, I hope everybody remembers you saying how eloquent I am the next time I post like a garbage fire pun on Twitter. I want people to know <laughs> those puns are eloquent and elegant and perfect. That's what I want them to know. Okay. Literally. So my Wi-Fi went out for all you listeners that are listening right now, my Wi-Fi went out during me kissing Aaron's ass, and I texted him. I said, Wi-Fi must have gone out. Stand by. On cue goes, darn, comma. I thought I was pretty pretty fly for a Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's just effortless. I'm telling Surely you. there's at least one person out there that listens to The Offspring that's going to appreciate that. Well, I actually know that reference, which should be surprising because I'm very... I'm very not cultured when it comes to things that most people are cultured in. I'm cultured with like internet memes and vines, but like that's about it, I feel like. <laughs> Music's my specialty. It's the one yes. thing I've probably done the most. It is. All right, let's let's try to get back on track here. So, um you have that passion for racing at a young age. You carry that with you to school. Uh like you mentioned, you go to Ball State Cardinals, right? 
Chirp, chirp. 0-7 in bowl games. That's right. You're, you're a Ball State alum, and you graduate with a business economics degree. And like we mentioned, you have been and you are currently working as a financial analyst in Indiana. How the hell does an Indiana kid who loves racing wind up getting a degree in business economics and now working as a financial analyst? Like, connect those dots for me because I, I can't, I couldn't do it if you gave me 100 tries. Because he wanted to be a veterinarian and developed an allergy to cats midway through college. <laughs> Yikes. So, so I grew up in a, a country house with dogs and this one cat that lived for like 18 years, 19 years. I swear he was there forever. And um, I didn't think anything of it. I loved them all. I played with him. I messed with the cat when he let me. And I just loved animals. So when I went to college, you know, like I said, racing wasn't really on my radar as a career opportunity. So I was like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. I'll be a small animal vet. So I was going to go to Ball State for two years, transfer to Purdue, go there for four, and then kind of go from there. You had it all planned out, didn't you? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, (laughs) Then I went home on fall break, and I noticed I was sneezing for some reason, and I couldn't make any sense of it. I left, went back. I was home for the summer. You kind of outside a lot. I didn't notice it as much. Mm -hmm. Went back the next year, and I was like, coming home for break and here i am sneezing again well i finally one day i started petting the cat and then i like scratched my my forehead and i realized that like my eyes got puffy and Oof. i went and visited a family member and they had a cat too and i noticed i petted that cat and i was like oh, it's making me all puffy again and ever since then i don't know if maybe i just had some immunity built up from living with one for so long that vanished but now every time i'm around cats Makes me all sniffly and sneezy, and my eyes get watery and scratch. It's it's so frustrating. So you're telling me that you were on the track to become a veterinarian, and mm -hmm. your allergy basically changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah. So Hmm. midway through like my second year of college, it was like, well, I need to do something different. I'm already at Ball State. I went and I toured IU and Purdue both within the span of like 24 hours. And then went back the next day to a Purdue basketball game on top of that. But uh, got accepted to both of them. Was going to transfer to IU to go to their business school. because I was like, business is safe. But uh, they wanted me to go an extra semester. And I was like, I I just don't want to pay for that. So I ended up changing my mind and just sticking at Ball State. Got accepted into their school of business. And I did the entire business program in two years and two summers. So I was taking like between 18 and 23 credit hours every semester plus summer classes. It was a major grind. Yeah, it was a major grind. It wasn't a lot of fun, but made it through it and ended up going with economics because I liked it, even though it was probably better, I would say, at accounting. I enjoyed economics more. I like kind of like the big picture thinking that comes with it. You're a crazy person. Yeah, I'm definitely crazy, but I'm good with numbers, so – it worked out. I got hired out of college. I actually went to a local place in my hometown area and was just trying to get on at like the manufacturing level, just as to have a job while I searched. And the people who worked in their finance department, one of them was in the job interview section and they heard my background or what I was doing. And I must have made an impression because like a week later, they sent me a thing and said, hey, we don't want to hire you for manufacturing, but how would you like to apply for our accounting clerk position? So I hired into there. Got lucky, really lucky with that, and I've progressed up their ladder ever since to the point where now I'm a financial analyst. 
quote unquote, which means I'm really good with numbers and spreadsheets, I guess. Well, thank you for carrying the load on the people that are currently on this podcast when it comes to being good at numbers and Excel spreadsheets, because that is my weakness. I'm not good at math. I am not good at science. I am not that technologically savvy. So I'll leave all of that up to you. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. That's why I track playoff points. I'm used to tracking numbers. That's right. That's right. That's that's very true. Okay, so he, here's the next question that that begs itself. Then, when did you? I, I assume, like you said, it was once you graduated from Ball State. When did you start writing more? Um, who did you write for? When did that kind of snowball? Because I know you spent some time ironically somewhere that i'm at right now at front stretch and kicking the tires and you freelance for jeffgluck.com a couple times you wrote some stuff for indycar.com when did all of those things happen i know that that's kind of a a big question to tackle but when did the ball (laughs) get rolling on that side of things for you well i was just doing the blog through 2014 and then we got later in the year i want to say it was like november ish october and people started sliding into my DMs with like, hey, we like your stuff. We'd love if you'd write for this place and that place and so on and so forth. Okay, and- I'm going to cut you off because now I have an important question. So okay. like a peek behind the curtain, not a lot of people listen to this podcast, right? So yeah. like when people say something about it, I'm I'm legitimately surprised. I, yeah. th- I still don't think that a lot of people read my stuff. I-, I barely write anymore. But when somebody comments or somebody's like, oh, I, I read what you wrote, I'm like, Really? Did you? It's just, it's a foreign concept to me. So the first time that somebody slid in your DMs and said, hey, I I like what you're doing. Your work is really good. Like what went through your mind? I was like, oh, hey, people actually do read it. (laughs) Right. You know, I I could see numbers. Like I knew I had a little bit of an audience because I ran my own blog, the WordPress site. So I could see my views and my engagement, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't that high. I guess, I don't know, maybe I just caught one right person's eye and they showed a couple other people or what it was, it but that's all it took, man. I, uh, I started, the first one I wrote for was actually Speed 51, which you might not even know that. I did some stuff with them, wrote some uh, short track stuff. They'd send me to like ones that were like locals, so I'd cover like, I think it was the iCar Modifieds and I would do like some CRA races for late models and the ultimate thrill ride that was the indy invitational when we had that i've still got an indy invitational polo if you even know what that race is no it was a uh it was a attempted and failed race in banker's life Fieldhouse, the home of the indiana pacers i like during, that idea yeah it was during uh, what's a pri the one the show in indy mm-hmm. in the fall they uh they threw this race together and had all these dirt guys there so they did outlaw carts and midgets i think it was and the track was just so short. I mean, it was like a tenth of a mile. And they made the berm too tall. So every time somebody would hit the berm on the inside of the track, it would just stop the car. So it was just wreck after wreck. And they kept having to pause it to air the place out because the fumes were too high. Yep, that's a so problem. It, yeah, it ended up being like a 12-ish hour. I think we got out of there at like 2 a.m. Like it was like a 10, 12-hour event that was supposed Damn. to end by like 10, 30, 11. So we uh, we never went back, but I remember <laughs> it fondly because it was so hilarious, and it was really wild to like walk on this out afterwards and see like a midget just sitting on a random downtown indie street chilling by itself. Like it was such a surreal experience. That's a cool visual. Yeah. So I actually started with Speed Fifty One, and then I joined Front Stretch going into twenty fifteen, and I was just like a a weekday news writer. 
Mm-hmm. So I would write, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. It would do NASCAR yeah. and then a little I started bit of the NASCAR. same way. You know, somebody got, somebody was busy one time. So they threw me on a column and I, I knocked a column out of the park, I guess. So then they started giving me another columns from time to time. And I started doing the throwback pieces from time to time. And then I went on and I've started doing like when they do that two headed monster thing. Now I did that. I too. created I created that. That was my baby. And at first I was actually, you're welcome. What you might not know is the first few times I was actually arguing with myself. I wrote Ah. the whole thing and I argued both sides of the case. Impressive. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, I was also writing for a place called Race Chaser Media at the time. And I did some radio shows with them. So I kind of learned how to do audio stuff like this. I'm still not great, but it was a start. Uh, so front stretch I did for two years, covered my first races ever for them. I remember walking down gasoline alley with a hot, hot pass for the first time and just like bawling my eyes out because Indy <laughs> means so much to me and it blew my yeah. mind. Um, did that for two years, kind of slowly grew in that was handling a little bit of like editorial stuff for them, everything. And then I was kind of at that point with front stretch, they're a great group and they're really good at grooming young, young talent and people who were learning. But because they're such a big staff, it's hard sometimes to, like, get that spot where you can write consistently and kind of stand out. So I felt like this – I kind of felt this need to do something that would lead me somewhere else and give me more opportunities to write and evolve and force me to kind of challenge myself. And that led me to kicking the tires for two years. Wrote with for old Jerry Jordan down there in Texas. That's right. Good old boy. Good old boy. Um, it was a good time. I really enjoyed it. Jerry was very – he was hands-on when he had to be, but he was very hands-off in that he would kind of give you the creative freedom to do whatever you felt like you, you were supposed to do as long as you weren't saying anything ridiculous or getting yourself in trouble. As long as you were accurate and you were fair, he was very open about everything. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a chance to kind of grow, and I got to go to more races. He got me a hard card, which, again, blew my mind because to this day, I don't think I deserve one. Please. And so – he got me this hard card. And so I started going to as many races as I could, as many as he would kind of let me go to, if it was like advantage of it, baby. Yeah. If I could cover, if I could cover Xfinity at road America, I wanted to do it. If I could do IndyCar races, I wanted to do it. I started traveling ridiculous distances at all hours of the day while still working the day job. As you know, I would do like a truck race, a gateway on Saturday and then drive through the night to road America and Wisconsin and cover an IndyCar race. Like I did all kinds of crazy, crazy things that I should probably regret now, but <laughs> you, you are one <laughs> of the kind of craziest people when it comes to driving, just, just in general, like, like I'll fly to Miami from DC or something. And I'm like, Oh, wh- when do you land? You're like, Oh no, I drove, man. I'm like, well, one, obviously my bad. Cause I should have assumed that, uh, how long was the drive? You're like, Oh, not too bad. Like 18 hours or something like that. And I'm just like. <laughs> You're a different breed. Like, like you really are. Yeah. Well, I can do it in one sitting. That's probably what makes me different. I don't really because, get that tired at night. Because tell everybody the trick that you taught me to stay awake behind the wheel. Well, there's a couple. There's some snacks. There's uh, I know which one you're going for, and I'll get to it. Don't worry. Yes. There's snacks. There's water. There's um, pulling pulling the windows down a little bit if it's chilly at night. And if I really felt like I was actually starting to get a little drowsy, I would take my water bottle and I'd just reach it up and like dump a little bit of it over my head. <laughs> and if that don't wake you up, if you're wa- either A, your water is really warm for some reason, 
or B, you are not wired right because it's like a cold shower at <laughs> two in the morning and you don't water. Right. The the first time you told me that, dude, I literally was just imagining because I I think I was telling you a story about how I was driving back to MSU from Chicago one night and I was like falling asleep. It was pretty bad. Um, and you're like, oh, just pour water on yourself. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you're like, yeah, just take a little water and just literally pour it on yourself. I was like, are you are you wearing like a hat? Like, do you mean splash it on your face? And you're like, no, 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 just pour it on your head. And I'm like, have you have you done this? And he's, you're like, yeah, all the time. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so now if I'm ever tired on the road, I'm literally just going to think of you and just bloop, pour it on my head and it'll wake me right up, hopefully. Yeah, well, it doesn't take much, and I don't. I very rarely have to do it, but if I feel like that little bit of drowsiness, because I don't even like to let myself get close to tired, mm-hmm. and I take fewer risks now than I did a couple years ago. But if I feel that little bit of drowsiness coming on, and I need to power through, it's a little, just a little, like, little stream of water on top yeah, of the head. A little It'll bit. perk you right up. You'll work yourself up. Trust me, it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you kill me. So okay, so, so we're going on all these road trips. Once you get your hard car, because I, I kind of understand that as well. What, what, once you get the hard card, you're at a point where you're saying to yourself, okay, and, and like you said, you don't think you deserve it. I beg to differ, but I, I went through a similar type of thought process, and I was like, I mean, I, I don't deserve to be with the likes of Jeff and Bob and Jenna and Nate and all these people, but you're like, well, now that I got one, I might as well get some mileage out of it, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and it also worked for me pretty well because I was already at a lot of the racetracks for what was then the K&M Pro Series covering races there where I could just have my flight booked at after the entirety of the race weekend so I could stay if Cup, Xfinity, or Truck was a companion weekend with K&N. So I got a lot of mileage out of my hard card. I think the first one I had was in 2018. And then last year, 2019, I had the back was completely filled up with stickers, which made my heart warm inside because I always wanted to get to that point where I could take like a cool picture at Homestead on the front stretch with your hard card in the foreground and then the blurred out background. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I haven't done it, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes, yeah. I've you seen gotta, a lot of people post it. You, you got to be basic every once in a while. So I, I definitely <laughs> feel you on that. Um, but then it gets to a point. Uh, and you can take us through this process. I believe it was a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago at this point, where you start your own outlet, Motorsports Beat. Take it away. Yeah, so I would say late 2018, I felt like I felt this urge to do something different. And I couldn't quantify it. I couldn't. I couldn't explain it to anybody. It was just this feeling I had had inside myself. And I, I had always said that if I built up an audience where I could make something of myself in this and actually be in a position to provide people value and give back to this industry that I love so much that I would try to launch something unique and something different that did just that and maybe gave an opportunity to other people coming up. And mm-hmm. so late in 2018, I felt this feeling and it just it bothered me all fall, all the whole fall. It just kept eating at me and eating at me. And I was like, I've got to do something different in 2019. And so I kind of, I think it was late October, I started looking around, trying different names out, looking up, looking up like different things I could maybe get a website for. And one, uh, one, the only one that really hit with me, the only one that stuck out to me was Motorsports Beat. It just, it sounded right. It felt right. I had no idea what I was doing. It was like back in 2014 when I started the blog, but it just, it just felt right. And so I I went with it. Um, Surprisingly, it launched 
fairly cleanly. I got an opportunity to kind of cover the chili bowl right off the bat, which was nice. Kind of helped me kind of get my foot in the door. And I really just kind of slowly built it. Um, and I'm still in the building stage, I would say. I had a lot of financial and personal difficulties outside of racing last year. They kind of hurt me. I didn't get to cover more than like maybe half the races I wanted to. And I had some periods of time where I was kind of out and about and I didn't get to write as much as I wanted to, which I'm kind of struggling with a little bit right now for different reasons. But so it made for a difficult first year, but I had the newsletter. I write a newsletter every day, as you know. Well, right now it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday because it's so slow. But it's called I think the morning everybody warm-up. in the motorsports industry, not just NASCAR, I think literally everybody that works or has an invested stake in motorsports gets your newsletter. I mean, you would know, <laughs> but I feel like everybody gets it. It's kind of like a small but mighty thing because I don't have a ton of subscribers, but they are, they're like people that are connected, I guess. Like they're people who care about the motorsports industry because it's so encompassing. So it is a lot of industry folks. But yeah, I started that. I think I actually started that in 18. I think it was summer of 18. It was, I, was, I think it was earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I paired with Jeff. Uh, back then, Jeff was of JeffGluck.com. Now he mm-hmm. is of the Athletic fame, one of the big shots over there, right in the big story. But uh, why I'm joining he, the uh, Athletic, my column. Yeah, he um, at the time he'd had a newsletter in the past, and I would I had just started doing something like it. I was doing a post on Facebook every morning, my whole Facebook page for a hundred people. They kind of ran through everything that was going on in the motorsports world, and I guess we kind of talked because I had freelanced for him a couple times in the year before I'd done like a supercross race and a couple of NASCAR races he couldn't get to. And so we talked and we were like, Hey, what if we launch this? What if we take like my old newsletter and mix it with your Facebook idea? And we make like kind of like an all encompassing motorsports newsletter. And so we did, uh, we kind of did it together there for a while. And after a while, Jeff kind of pushed off of it because I think I kind of think he probably always was kind of molding this for me to take over. I think that was his thought from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He said, tell me that per se. But um, so I took it over and it, it grew and it's kind of stabilized. And it became a thing where every day I was putting out all this content and trying to share what everybody in the motorsports world was doing and try to keep all the news and content out there. And I'm still not perfect at it. But and by the way, little, you wake up at wee hours of the morning to send this thing out by like 6 a.m. every single time you do it, right? Yeah. So during the normal regular season, like normally right now, it would be every single day. It goes out at 6 a.m. So I will write. I'll usually start it at like 8 or 9 the previous night. And then I get up at 4 because I work at 6 a.m. on my day job. So I get up at 4 a.m. every day and I check over it, kind of make sure it's got everything I want in it when I can. And then I schedule it to send out at six and I get ready for work and go on about my business. And it makes for an oh interesting God. time when I'm on the road. Cause like, for example, at Kentucky Speedway last year, we had the Xfinity race that ended super late. And I got to the hotel at Cincinnati at like 3 a.m. And so I'm actually writing this newsletter and don't get done till five. And then I still haven't even gone to bed yet. So sometimes it gets interesting trying to get it out. But yeah, I try my best to be very consistent with that. Um, you are <laughs> it's it does not go unnoticed my, it's been my breadwinner because i've been really busy the day job i got two promotions in the span of four months last year and then our department got smaller like we cut headcount so my day job has been much busier than it used to be for me which means i have less time to kind of pursue the passion project sometimes 
So I haven't had as much time to write and create as I want to, but that newsletter has kind of helped me have a consistent staple that kind of won people over and brought people to me. So I have a Patreon that it kind of more or less been supported by that newsletter and its subscribers. And it's, it's been major. It's been a big step for me and a big help as I'm trying to build this and grow it. So the, the newsletter has been a resounding success. We know that in terms of the website itself. And again, it's motorsportsbeat.com and you can, you can check out everything online and become a patron and support Aaron's work. How has the success been for the website and the outlet, the beat, so to speak in general so far? I mean, has it been what you envisioned at the start or I'm, I'm sure there's been hurdles along the way, but overall, have you been happy with the outcome? I would say I'm eight months off my scheduled plan with it. Um, I had a lot of financial issues last year. My car started crapping out. That was the biggest yeah. thing. And so, like, when I did my playoff push last year. Yeah, I can you used... tell us about that, please? Because that's, <laughs> again, it's just feeding into the narrative of me kissing your ass. But it's literally incredible what you did in a car. So I, so I covered 14 straight race weekends between NASCAR and the NHRA, including the entire NASCAR playoffs last year. Um, I only flew to two races in that stretch. I drove everywhere from, let's see, no, it was three. I lied. It was three races I flew to, but I drove to Virginia and back in a single day to cover Richmond. I drove, I can't even remember where I went, North Carolina and well, Alabama. Let's see, let's see the races that Wisconsin. you flew to. You flew to Phoenix. I flew to Phoenix. I flew to Vegas. And I did you drive to, to Miami? No, I flew to Homestead. Okay. And I drove okay. to everything else. So they were all very, mm -hmm. very fun and sketchy and great. I had some late nights and I did all of it with a whopping five vacation days at work. Again, <laughs> I, I need people to understand that. Okay. So Aaron has a day job that he works five days a week. Sometimes it's not a nine to five. It's a six to four. Is that right? Six to three, normally. Okay. Six to three job during the day. He sends the newsletter in the morning and wakes up at 4 a.m. to do it. He's driving through the night and all day, all night to go to these races because he started his own media outlet and is trying to build it bigger and better. <laughs> what you're doing is incredible. Again, I need people to understand that because it'd be one thing if you're just kind of doing it here and there and you know you have a, a big pool of money that you're pulling from and you're just doing it as a passion project but you're doing it as a passion project with a full-time job on the side so to speak like again <laughs> dude like pe people don't understand that and i hope that the people that are listening will now like whenever they see a tweet pop up on your timeline they'll think differently of you because the fact that you're doing this shit is ridiculous and, and you haven't stopped and if anything you've gotten better and you've gotten hungrier I'd be tired as shit. Oh, I'm always tired. It's great. But <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it makes for an interesting experience. It's fun to try to explain to somebody. I, I remember, oh God, I can't remember who I was telling it to. It was just one person at work and they're like, man, you single with nothing better to do, ain't you? And I was like, yeah, that pretty well describes it. Yeah, right. that's about right. <laughs> the <laughs> heartbreak comes right. from yeah, my sports teams. Yeah, it's... It's crazy. I wouldn't recommend it per se because it takes a lot, a lot of effort. But if it's something you really love and something you're really passionate about, and it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time. So you know, every time I show up at a racetrack, even if I'm sleepy and groggy, when I walk up in there, I still feel so blessed. 
just to be able to share the atmosphere and share the location with all these people that I've grew up watching and felt kind of this connection to since I was a little kid. It still feels so surreal to me. Like I was, I remember right before we did this call with you, I was sitting there thinking like, why would there ever be somebody that would want to talk to me about anything in racing? Like it just doesn't even feel, it doesn't feel real to this day. It doesn't feel real. So I'm, I'm very thankful for it. You're a big deal. I'm not a big deal. I'm a little deal. Uh, I'm a little deal. You're a bigger deal than me. We'll put it that way. Um, all right. I know we're getting a little long here, so I got three more questions and I want to hit on them all with you. I can't let you go without asking you at least one question about racing on track, even though we have nothing going on right now. I was trying to figure out a way to phrase it. I didn't want to give you a softball and ask you about iRacing, but you are probably the the one person that I follow and that I am friends with and connected with that is so in tune with so many different forms of motorsports, so many different disciplines, whether it's a midget, whether it's open wheel, stock car, dirt, asphalt, I don't know, maybe cover ice racing, who the hell knows. The question that I'm going to ask you, and I know it might be a tough one, so I'll take time to think about it if you need, and we can come back to it. In the realm of motorsports and auto racing, what do you think is working the best and what do you think is lacking? Well, it depends on each tour, right? Yeah. Like, I wish we had more time to discuss all that. I don't know that there is a general answer for that. I think each tour does something great and has something they could learn from. So like, for example, formula one's done tremendous at social media lately. They've Very done good. really good at social media. They've spread and mind you, they have resources they can devote to it that some smaller tours can't. But Formula One still has a lot of struggles with like the politicking going on behind the scenes and things of that nature. I mean, look at what's going on right now. They there were reports of like people splitting a vote over wanting to race in mm -hmm. Australia when there was a team that had already completely pulled out, <laughs> like because they had positive cases. Like there's still there's still a lot of issues there. Uh, I don't have to speak too far to what NASCAR's biggest issue of late's been because we, we had a guy lose his ride to it a couple yep. weeks ago. You know, they're, they're still fighting an image issue that's been associated with them for God, how long has the sport been around now? Long <laughs> enough. years, six years. Now, I don't think there's, I don't think there's one answer with it, but in terms of the things they do, right. Uh, the sensation when you were at a race, no matter what race it is, there's a tremendous sensation that comes with it. There's a very big adrenaline rush. There's a very big thrill that comes along with it. It's very bright and flashy and entertaining in a way that a lot of stick and ball sports just can't match. Like it's almost like when you when you are really in tune with what's going on in the race, it's like watching an NBA game on the fast break for freaking three hours. Straight. When they do it right. When they do it right. Yep. Um in terms of the biggest issues they're going to face or the biggest problem for them right now, it's probably the way technology is going right now. Uh, if you look at what we're pushing towards right now, it's a slow process, but we're talking about like self-driving cars and autonomy. And I don't know where auto racing fits in that. Like we've seen, we've seen the robo race deal. Which I don't know if you know much about where they have like autonomous cars that mm -hmm. can race against each other kind of, but it's not going to be the same and you can't connect to just a car. There has to be a personal story behind it to connect with and invest in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in terms of like the biggest thing I see racing dealing with right now as a, as a whole, they're all fighting over 
you know, should we be running hybrid? Should we be going electric? What are we going to do when self-driving comes around? Like that's, that's going to be a question that I think every single racing series is going to have to combat and fight through. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more questions than answers. And especially given the time and the world that we're in, that only feeds into the unknown, I guess you can say about motorsports in general. But uh, I, I wanted to pose that question to you because, again, I, I knew that you would give it the proper answer. Um, and I, frankly, was looking for an answer as well because I didn't really know what to think about that. Um, all right. We've gotten, to, we've gotten pretty serious. We've gotten pretty educational. Let's have some fun before we close things out. Let's talk puns. Puns, puns, puns. How do you come up oh, with yikes. these? Are they all are they all actually organic? Are they all actually unplanned? Do you have like a spreadsheet of all of these puns? Do you have like a dictionary or a thesaurus or like an Adam Stern type Twitter thread of like specific puns that you think are your best or your least punniest? Like how do you do this? Because on top of all the stuff that I've said, nothing that you do will top your puns. Nothing. <laughs> Uh, well, that speaks for my content that the puns are the best. Um, <laughs> the um, honest truth is I don't think I've ever spent more than five seconds on any one of them. See? It's just something that <sighs> for everything I experience, these things pop into my head. And they've done it my whole life, but I didn't used to share them. Like I remember I got bored during like, I want to say it was like an Xfinity race at New Hampshire or something like that, Sounds where they went boring. on a long green run <laughs> and there was very little passing going on. Yep. And I just started taking sponsors and making puns out of the sponsor names and just throwing them out there on Twitter. And people started going, what is he doing? Oh my <laughs> God. And so I was like, well, nobody blocked me. Nobody cussed at me. Nobody seemed overly mad about it. I was like, oh, I'm just going to start sharing these. And Ever since then, it's become part of my shtick, for better or for worse. It's uh, they're pretty pun believable. I don't know why people let me do it. And there it is. But I do enjoy it. It's fun. It kind of can ease the tension sometimes because I feel like we can all take racing so serious sometimes yeah. we forget that it's like a sport meant for fun. Mm -hmm. So it kind of cuts the tension, and it gives me something to do when I get spammed by bots. So it's nice. Well, that's my next question. But before I get there, I I, I think I'll say. In addition to your puns being the best attribute on your social media, I would say, not it, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in. When I see somebody reply to one of your puns, and it's usually Steve Luvender, but when he just <laughs> replies to one of your puns and just says, Aaron, then, I don't know why. It's just, it gets me every time. I will never not laugh at that, and I'll never not laugh at the puns after I, after I say, oh, jeez, Aaron, and then somebody says, Aaron. It just always gets yep. me. Oh, it's so funny. It's it's kind of perfect, though, because, one, like, it just blows my notifications up in a weird way that, like, I think 30% of all my replies on my Twitter account are just my name. <laughs> and, two, now when I see somebody else post a pun and it's somebody who recognizes me and my shtick, all I have to do is send them their name in a tweet back. Yep. I know it's going to make them laugh. It's, it's the unspoken connection so, that is spoken. Yeah. So I thank Steve for that. I really appreciate that he's added <laughs> something to the lore for me, but... Yeah, I, I'm not proud of it. It's just something I've always done. And nah, you should be proud. I reckon I'll always do now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's part of you now, so you should be proud. And you mentioned the bots. So I am also proud to know you because you are one of the only people that interacts with the sexy porno bots 
uh, that I know. So this morning, Aaron Bearden got a DM from Anna Faith Z ninety eight. She says, "Hello, how are you doing at this moment?" Aaron replies, "I'm feeling Anna believable at this moment. Losing faith with the Z in parentheses in you being real though." And then three hours later, he has another bot in his DMs, Angela Bolton. How are you doing? DMs like this have me bolting for the exit of this app. Just unbelievable content on Aaron Beard's Twitter. Just simply well, I unbelievable. Just, I figure those accounts might as well serve some purpose. You know, I'm never actually going to see any sexy singles in my area on Twitter.com. Horny singles. So. Horny singles. <laughs> Sorry, I got the terminology wrong. Yeah. So I, I figure I might as well have some fun with it. I, I reply to even more of them, but sometimes I don't share them. <laughs> well, feel free to text me the, the screenshots because I will enjoy them. It's usually like at least one a day. Like it would become at a least. massive thing if it if it started by start sharing every one of them. But every now and again, just to spice spice my timeline up, I'll share some of them and have a laugh at them. And they usually you can tell they're bots. They're like supposed to key in on what you say because I'll be like, I don't believe you're real, and they'll be, Oh, real. Well, what does that mean? Like it, it immediately throws like two of the words you put in your message to yeah. them back at you. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. But oh, you're something. Thanks for else, an entertaining man. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Give give us one plug to Motorsports Beat. Where can they find you? Your work. How can they support you? The whole four one one. Well, it's me, your boy AB nine three uh, Motorsports Beat <laughs> at Motorsports Beat on everything MotorsportsBeat.com. And I am Aaron Bearden 93 on everything. Not because I'm a closet BK racing fan, but because 93 is my birth year and some real estate agent in Texas had at Aaron Bearden on lock. So AB93, here, here to see you. Well, AB93, thank you for a fun, honest, eye-opening, important, uh, but more than anything, fun chat. I uh, I do appreciate it sincerely. Thanks for being a uh, Thanks for being a great friend and hopping on with me. And uh, stay safe in Indiana. Keep doing the Lord's work with that newsletter. Please get some sleep. And I will hopefully see you soon at the racetrack because I miss seeing you. Yeah, I'm really hoping we get back to a track soon, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Coys. Coys. Come on, you Spurs. Get in there. And we're back. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Aaron and I, we haven't really gotten a chance to catch up face-to-face, so to speak, on Zoom uh, for that long and and a long time, maybe ever. I mean, when we're at the track, we hang out and we talk a little bit and we just kind of bust each other's chops about how Tottenham's breaking our hearts. Come on, you Spurs. But um, it was really cool to chat with him, and I thank him for being so honest, so open, and so forthcoming with some of his story and some of the details that he shared. And again, if you're not following him on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. Really quick, look, that's of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Jeff Gordon will participate this weekend in the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Series Invitational Race at Talladega Super Speedway. He said so on Wednesday night's iRacing broadcast of iRock at Talladega. Brett Moffitt said he will be ready for when the Truck Series winds up returning to action later this year, hopefully, as I knock on proverbial wood, not proverbial, literal wood in this room. Chase Briscoe and his wife Marissa are expecting their first child. That is very nice. So congratulations to the mom and dad to be. Again, told you it was an abbreviated lug nuts of the week. So that will wrap things up for episode 53 
of Victory Lane 2.0, the Slick Johnson edition, and Bob Burdick. Ain't going to forget you. Please do me a favor. If you like what you heard here today, tell your friends, tell your family, say, hey, this dude, Davey, he's a nut job. He has a cool podcast. You should listen to it. And a way of helping me out besides doing that is leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, we are most likely available there. So thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Truly mean that every week when I say it. And we'll catch you back here next week for another episode with another personality in the motorsports, probably NASCAR world. Until then, stay safe, stay inside, and stay classy.